This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cammy here. Woo! Have you ordered my book? You can go to saveyourselfbook.com and get a book. That's mine. Please get it. Please get it. Okay, anyway, today's episode is a fantastic chat with a stand-up comic and actor, Fortune Feemster. I've known Fortune for a long time, but this is really the first full conversation we've ever had, and I felt like she was so honest and open, and I was so honest and open, and shit, why am I not just like this out there in my life? Anyway, that's really a note to me, to be more open. have folks introduce themselves. Will you introduce yourself? Uh, sure. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it out the gate. What else we got? Uh, it's Fortune Feemster. Rhymes with Teamster. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't know how to pronounce my last name. Uh, I am gay. Yeah. And yep. real happy about that. <laughs> Living my best gay life. Living here in LA from the South in North Carolina. And uh, thank you for being my friend. Yeah, we did such a good job. We covered so much. Yes. And also, I mean, would you do you say as your first descriptor comic, or do you say actor, or what do you say at this point? I usually say comic. Yeah, I I, I do acting as well, but it feels weird to be like I'm an actor. Also, I feel like comic is such a. It's like such a. If it's like a badge of an identity yeah. that it's hard to get rid of as your primary, like, I'm a comic. Well, because when you're a stand, it's, being a stand-up is so different than, like, I started in an improv and sketch. Mm-hmm. But it is such a different thing than improv and sketch. Yeah, like, and, you mean the word comedian? Yeah. Which is like, comedian, it's that's not all-encompassing. Yeah. But a comic, then you know, like, oh, they do stand-up. Yeah. And that is... A whole like you're like oh they've been through the the battlefield they've toured and they've done ch- crappy clubs and yes been in green rooms the size of closets they've had people boo them they've had hecklers you know they've they've come out the other end of that. How long have you been doing stand up? Uh, Ballpark. I know this is a tough one. Thirteen years. Yeah, yeah. I remember being. At we were in Vegas, <laughs> yeah, like co-headlining <laughs> like a lipstick. Yeah, it was. Like, we rename? I think it was called lip stick. Stick. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lip but, stick. Yeah, the two. Um, yeah, it was chapstick that night uh, yeah. for sure. But like that, the that name did not fit what you and I were bringing no. to the table. <laughs> <laughs> but you also had like you had some friends. That had that were having a bachelorette party that same weekend was that in that Vegas. Same weekend? That's when that was. Yeah. And then you went, like I think you went out to a club after the show. Only because of that. I that's what <laughs> that is what I was just gonna ask. Because in my experience with you, yeah. you know, this is like the only show we've ever done not in LA together. Right. And I was like, oh, fortune 
goes to like <laughs> Tao or like whatever nightclub that you went to. I was like, we are having a different experience of stand up. No, I am not. I'm like so low key. I go back to my hotel room. I watch Netflix. I chill. I get like some sliders from the comedy club and Understood. take them back to my room. Uh, no, it was because it was my sister in law's sister. Her mm-hmm. younger, her youngest sister was getting married and decided that she was going to have her bachelorette weekend. This like because <laughs> I was doing a show in Vegas. She's like, "Oh, that's the perfect idea." And I'm like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> like, I'm not the. I'm not like a party planner. Like, I don't want to be, I don't want to have your bachelorette weekend depending on me and what I bring to the table. But because our show was at Tau, or no, I'm sorry, what was, with whatever the heck that's called. Yeah, exactly. Their big nightclub is Tau. Yes. And so I I knew that I could, you know, the one string I could pull. Right. They'll like get you a cool table in there with like. I just was like, can you please get my sister-in-law sister's group in there? And I felt like a doofus. Even you have to stand in a line. Because, you know, Vegas is all about, uh, do you have the right shoes on? Yeah. Do you wear a button-up shirt? And, you know, because ladies are just in dresses, but I don't do that. What did you wear? I, I think... Well, you can't wear tennis shoes into a lot of these clubs, and that's all I wear is tennis shoes. Right. So I think I had to that night put on a pair of real like dress shoes, adult shoes, but like yeah, dress shoes, like an Oxford. Mm-hmm. Like, is that what you wear? Yeah, and uh, I got it. What was so hilarious is, I mean, I am so low key in that every stand up show I go to, it's it was for a long time just me. Mm-hmm. Now my partner goes with me a lot. And there's no entourage because this is not an entourage situation. Uh, and uh, that night they had a security guard escort us there. Yeah. So it made it look like I was a big deal. Yeah. And I'm like, this is not the norm. <laughs> but when we got there, uh, the bride to be forgot her ID. And oh, no. Yeah. And this is not, Vegas does not play around. No, no, they're not. No. This is this is the opposite of There's that. There's cameras literally uh-huh. everywhere And in people watching the cameras. Because yes. a lot of times you go to a place, there's a camera. There's yeah. nobody looking at that tape. There, there's like Vegas, 10 people watching these cameras. They have clipboards. They're looking. So yeah. these girls come from Michigan, and they try to do the old pass the ID, like oh sh- my show God. your ID and then pass it down the line. I guess it's an old college trip. Oh, my God. No, I know the one you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so they, the girl, who looks nothing like the bride-to-be, passes her ID down, and they meet. Like, I I feel like, and I wish someone had told me this that, that this was happening, that was the plan. Oh I would have said... No, no, no. Don't even try it. And uh, they passed it down. And I mean, 20 seconds, a guy steps in and goes, no. Like, uh, and she's she's like having a meltdown. It's my, I'm the bride. Like, has she not even approached the. Well, she was about to approach. Got she it. And they like, it, like wow. right. At, it was all kind of simultaneously uh-huh. happening. And the person has like emerged from a door that's now hidden <laughs> yes. in the wall. Yeah. They're like we saw that happen. Uh-huh. No way. And I had to then be like step in and just be like, please don't kick her out of the hotel. Like, uh, she's with me, and they're like, well, we can't let her in without a night. And there was, like, no, I couldn't do anything for her. And I go, I'm sorry. Like, this is Vegas, baby. It's, yeah. It's out of my hands. So she had to haul it back to, like, Hotel Paris or whatever and get her ID and come back. And it was a whole thing. Oh, my God. 
And it was, so she hadn't forgot it like at home. Obviously you needed it to fly. Yeah. It was in her hotel room. And that is such a funny, (laughs) like, uh, first, I mean, I'm assuming first time in Vegas plan to be like, let's pass the ID. Not like it is. So I was like entertaining, had to entertain her like bachelorette party for like an hour before she got back. Oh (laughs) my God. It was a night. Oh my God. Well, we had very different nights that night because I got the same like security escort, but I was like, can you tell me where the chill, where's like the chillest place? (laughs) I thought you were going to say Chili's. I was like, ah, no, I'm so jealous. No, they were like, uh, we know just the place, you know, like, uh, Miss Esposito, like we've already got you a reservation as at like the chillest place in the casino or whatever. I was like, all right. I can only imagine where this is. It was, there's like a, there was like a Frank Sinatra impersonator (laughs) show. And right outside that there's like a piano bar. That's not even like, it's just sort of part of the main room, Okay, but it has a little dance floor. And there were like 60 or 70 year old couples who have like we have we are professional dancer shoes on oh, like they like and the they jitterbug were and stuff. they were partner dancing in a way that indicated this is what these people do right like they always are this at their big night at this little dance floor or whatever and then just you know <laughs> me and my ex were sitting there like well actually and then we like went for it and. Because I and actually really dancing? love to dance. Yeah. And I love partner dancing. Uh-huh. But I was, for a minute, I was like, Vegas is a weird place to be and be gay. Yeah. It, it's well, a, very, a it's queer a very... woman. It's a weird place to be a lesbian that's on the side of right. the spectrum it's that you and much, I are on. It's not as crazy you're like drag queens. Yeah. Like, that's like, <laughs> like yeah. welcome. Mm-hmm. You, are our, you are the president yeah. <laughs> of here. But for like you and I, I think specifically what you're talking about, like, the ge- the dress code feels mm-hmm. like it's hard to understand how that applies. Yeah, because it applies in a very male and female way. Guys wear this, chicks wear this, and they're and so if you're a chick that's like in a sweater vest, yeah, <laughs> they're like what? Yeah, <clears throat> and it just has some really strange like straight hookup energy too. Yeah, that it just feels like I don't know how to. I don't usually know how to participate. It's drinking, in gambling, that. and hooking up. Yeah, and I don't. I'm not good at it. all of all of those things. Exactly. I'm like, I want a milkshake. <laughs> Where can I go? I, I I last like two days in Vegas, and then oh yeah, I'm that's a, I'm it. a in and out for the night. Yeah, for the show sort of but a guy. We brought comedy to the lip stickers. Yeah, we sure did. <laughs> how do you feel like when you are walking around the world in your like regular life in the clothes that you wear and uh-huh. like the haircut that you have and all that stuff. How are you, how do you feel like folks receive what's going on with you? Um, usually, well, it dep- <laughs> I do get some looks in the bathroom occasionally mm-hmm. where I have had women think that they're in the wrong bathroom because I'm <laughs> walking in or walking out and they're like, what, wait, what? And I get, I do get called sir quite a bit, which is funny to me. I do, I do have like masculine. I have these broad shoulders. I get the, the confusion, but it's not like I have a shaved head, right? I, you know, and I, I, my, my boobs aren't big, but they are. Something's there. Yes. And so it's very funny to me when people um, always say sir. I'm like, I wouldn't jump to that conclusion. Uh, but for the most part. Uh, I I think because I'm from the South, I'm usually a pretty friendly, positive person. So I'm I kind of walk about life smiling or just sort of more open. 
And so it, people, I get a good vibe from people. Yeah. They're more like, yeah, you look fun. I think it's my silly hair. <laughs> They're like, you look fun. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, man. So what you're saying <laughs> What's is. What's your vibe? Do people, how do people treat you and your, your uh, look? Yeah, you know, that's like, I don't think I have that same. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. About your like personality or like at least what I perceive to be mm-hmm. what's going on. It's like you do have a, I mean, you have like you, you like regularly do an ice cream dance. That's like a large part of your <laughs> social media presence. I know. So it's, it's I just feel like quality content, that, over here. but it's great. You know, like that's a little different. I think, um, I think maybe I'm like just a little bit more serious. Yeah. And so I think that that impacts the way folks interact with me. And yep. I also used to have like when I had, a little bit longer hair on one side. Yeah, I would remember like that. Never get stirred, and now I'm you're getting the stirred like pretty routinely. Yeah, um, which is interesting because I don't dress like so different. Uh-huh. I don't wear a different amount of makeup. Right. I just it's just like the it was one the side flip. That, yeah, they were like that was your lady part. We get it. We get what that means. <laughs> <laughs> That's lady right yeah. there. Do but you I, ever miss the? Uh, I never honestly. I never thought. I, I was shocked. That I got rid of it? That you got rid of it. It was your thing. Yeah, it was my thing. I, I mean, mean, I like your, I really like your hair now. Yeah, thank but you. But what made, what, what made the Actually, I, there's a very specific moment. Um, it was on SNL as a wig. Of, <laughs> as like a lesbian wig. <laughs> yeah. And also like, I had, I mean, I think I could even just be specific. I think it's been long enough. I like had made it to the very last round of of auditioning for um, this movie. What is it even called? Zac Efron's in it. It's oh, it's uh, like David, Mike, Mike and, and Dave. Dave's what, so like, I had made it yeah. to like the very last round of okay. auditions. Yeah, and then they cast our friend Alice Wetterland, who's also a comic, played yeah. this role. But literally, like. In a wig that was my haircut. Like, they, like, oh, made a wig for her that, like, yeah. definitely looked like my hair. Like, yeah. it was the side mullet. And then a couple months later, it was on SNL. Yeah. As, like, these two characters were playing lesbians and they were wearing, yeah. like, an asymmetrical wig haircut. And I was like, I think it might have jumped the shark. Like, oh, I think when the haircut is uh, is a wig that Finding indicates elsewhere. lesbianism, yeah. like, on other people's heads, I yeah. just was like... That means the world has caught up, and therefore I need to move into the future. Gotcha. Like, because when I first got that cut, which was like in the mid two thousands, like nobody had asymmetrical hair yet, yeah. and it was literally like people would be like, "What the fuck?" You were ahead but of your time in like a good way, where yeah. I was like, "That's right." I don't know what's <laughs> going on, but then once it starts appearing, you know, it's like yeah. it's like Birkenstocks are back in, but for a while, <laughs> like you know what I mean, where it's yeah. like you're trying to figure out like. Am I the joke of the lesbian or am I the lesbian? Right, right. And so then I was like, well, I got to get that new thing so that 10 years from now somebody can make a joke about that. Isn't it weird that they you don't get a part and then they're like making that person look like I you? was literally like, <laughs> come on. Like I was, uh, you know, I've had, cool. I was happy for Alice, all this yeah. other stuff. But I was like, that's clearly my hair. Right. I've had uh, people send me scripts. Uh, it doesn't happen a lot, but a couple times where it says a fortune feemster type. 
and I don't even get an audition. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's weird. I feel like I could play a fortune piece. Yeah, I know, I know you could nail that. I know so you could nail that. It's a weird business. Yeah, it really is a weird business. And yeah. it's not anybody's fault. And it's just we're all the part fucking, of, We're just part of the machine. Yeah, it's just the strangeness <laughs> of the thing. I once had to have a stunt double when I had that hair for a movie that I was in. And she... Got like the wig made, yeah, f- by hair and makeup, and then was talking to me, and she was like, "Can you believe they like gave us this hair? This is like the weirdest hair ever." <laughs> like not realizing that I was like, "No, you, no, you, I'm you the turned. origin of the hair." <laughs> oh, had you, had, you. The, had you like, had the haircut? Like yeah. I had the haircut, and yeah. she was. They made her a wig oh, to match my haircut. Funny, yeah, and she was like. This one, this is the weirdest wig I've like, ever worn. You turn to the left, and all of a sudden the side, the side part comes. Yeah, it was really good. She's like, "Oh my god, I'm so yeah, oh yeah, I love it." Well, uh, when did you move here to LA? Uh, 2003, May of 2003. So, oh, so you moved here before you started doing stand-up. Yeah, yeah, I started. Um, I I moved out here to be a personal assistant to an actress. Wow, really? How yeah. did you get that gig? I was the I was a bit of a nerd in college and uh, was quite the overachiever. So I was the graduation speaker, mm-hmm. and she was a she's an actress. She's a from Raleigh. She's a, was the commencement speaker, and we hit it off. And I randomly uh, babysat what? her best friend's kids that summer. I was trying to earn money to move to Spain for a year, and she would ca- call, and I was like, oh, we like, oh my god, you're what? That's so crazy, and kind of put two and two together and uh randomly that summer uh when one of the times she called to talk because this was before uh self people didn't really have cell phones so you would call someone's landline right and i'd answer why babysitters answer the phone i have no idea oh my god i'm all like their personal message service and uh we she just somehow they came up uh, of being her assistant i don't I couldn't even tell you this how is that happened. a story. Yeah, and it was like, oh, she was like, I don't have an assistant. And I'm like, oh, I could do that. It was like, <laughs> we both were kind of like, wait, what, are we talking about this? And we're like, yeah, okay. We're both like, sure. But I, I had a plan to move to Spain for a year. And I naively just was like, yeah, if it's available in a year, let me know. Somehow, a year later... Uh, she's like, I email her. She's like, yes. Yeah. Come on out. What? It was the most casual. What the actual? Like, but like changed my life kind of moment. What level of, or where was this person working at the time? Like television, film stuff? Like she had just been cast on CSI Miami. You Mm -hmm. remember that show? Yeah. She was the blonde one. And, uh, Emily, Emily Proctor. Oh, I know who she is. Yeah. Yeah. So she's, she's from North Carolina. And so, you know, she just very sweetly, like, offered me this job. We didn't know each other. And I I moved to L.A. I'm 23, and I'd just gotten back from a year in Spain. I didn't know anything. I didn't know anyone. I had a friend living here. I slept on her couch, so I didn't know her, obviously. Uh, But, you know, trying to run someone's life at 23 when you have no—I wasn't even out yet— I didn't know, clearly did not know who I was. I didn't know L.A. I was so bad at this job. But I lasted almost like a year and a half. Wow. And, um, so I worked for for a year and a half and uh, had a really hard time meeting people, making friends. 
So I started taking classes at the Groundlings. Had you had any interest? Hey, Jordan, could you do me a favor and um, give us half an inch inch more air? (laughs) I knew that was coming. Half an inch more. Or one quarter of an inch. (laughs) You see what I'm saying, though? It was freezing, and now it's It just doesn't want to find a happy medium. No, it doesn't. Which inch is it supposed to be at? Um, So I, uh, I had done theater in college but I stunk I was really bad and part of it was that I just didn't know what I was doing and the other part was that my theater director did crazy plays like very modern very (laughs) abstract and like look at me like and you think that's for me well it's also really difficult difficult yeah when you're like not i mean i started doing improv before i was out Mm -hmm. and i will say i think it's very difficult to play another character when you don't know yourself i think we think it's the opposite where it's like you can be anything you're a chameleon but i think you have to start from a place of self-knowledge yeah i didn't even know how to create a character yeah i would i would have an audition for a play i didn't know i just read the lines i didn't know who that character was, what they thought, what nothing. I was so naive. Uh, and plus, I was young. I just wanted to be like, you know, when are we doing Steel Magnolias? <laughs> <laughs> and it was all these, like, crazy-ass plays that I... Even with the, and my accent was even thicker. Have you ever been in Steel Magnolias? You'd be grateful. I have Just not. saying, as a, as an aside. But I would love to do yes. the onstage play yes. of Steel yes. Magnolias. And uh, so, yeah, I never did comedy, though. I went to one improv class in college because I, I went to the, uh, what's it called? Comedy sports. Mm-hmm. Remember when they're like teams and stuff? Yeah. And they go, oh, we have a, we offer a free class. And I go, cool. I'd love to learn this. So I go to the class. They get you hooked. And then they go, it'll be $600. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I had no money. So I was like, oh, well, I'm out. And um, I didn't dis- rediscover it again until 2005 is when I started at the Groundlings. And folks that don't know anything about comedy or L.A. might not know what the Groundlings is. And this is just me. I've never taken a class there or mm-hmm. honestly even seen a show there, which is weird. Yeah. But it's like a school slash um, folks perform at night. in, And it's very important to try to get like involved in company, the company yeah. there. Like that's the goal of the thing. Mm-hmm. And then you're – Following the footsteps of, like, Lisa Kudrow is yeah. a graduate from there. Will Ferrell, Kristen Wiig, Melissa McCarthy. It's very much a—it was an SNL training ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so everyone would go there thinking they would, you know, get a shot on SNL. Also sort of like the predecessor to the UCB mm-hmm. out here, where, like, now those are kind of— I don't know too many people that do both, but I think— Yeah, you're kind of either one or the other. You can do one or the other— but at the time that Growlings yeah. was started, a lot more stand-ups have, have done UCB. Right, right. Um, but if you're like just super into like silly characters, costumes, that's all Growlings. It's a uh, it. uh, UCB is a little more cerebral. It's like how do I find the game in improv? How do I connect the dots? How do, you know how do I Got create it. a story? Which is a stand-up kind of thing, right? 
Growlings is just like, I'm going to play my uncle, you know, <laughs> Harry. He's got, he's got a weird quirk. Okay. And it's like that kind of stuff, yeah. So our, UCB had not started in L.A. Right. When I started Growlings. So, and then once you're kind of in the program, you drink the Kool-Aid. Yeah. And you're like, oh, it's all Growlings. So you did the whole thing and then you were in a company? Yeah, I was true? in the Sunday company for a year and a half and... I did. I that was my whole route. I I that was my whole route. I did that for like six years. I tested twice for SNL and was thought that would be my path. But uh, like two years into year and a half into Growlings, I started stand up and uh, quickly realized how much I loved it. And at the time, people at Growlings, it was like unheard of to do Growlings and stand up. They very much frowned upon it. So I had, like, some teachers be like, you need to stop that stand-up. Wow, that actually does make sense to me, though, yeah. because when I started in Chicago. Second City? Or? Like, I had taken, I had I had started in Boston and mm-hmm. was doing improv, and then I moved to Chicago thinking I'll get into improv further. And so, like, I was right. in the Second City Conservatory, and I was, like, doing midnight shows, mm-hmm. you know. And then I found stand-up, and... I was very much like, oh, I don't know what it's like in Chicago now, but at the Mm. time it was so many dudes. It was so many dudes that had like, and I had like professional experience. I had Mm -hmm. done this professionally in Boston. Yeah. And it felt like tough to start over. Yeah. And be sort of at the same place with like these guys who had like a real sort of lust for boners you know like a real sort of like most of this character is that i have an erection you know like that was like what was going on at the time in the vibe of the scene was Uh like what if in the you're a penguin but i want a blowjob you know and i was just like i don't want to do this anymore you know Uh um how funny yeah i didn't have that it felt well that's not what my experience was in boston you know boston's like Everybody there is like this brainiac. So mm-hmm. everybody was like, okay, you're Emily Dickinson and I'm a time traveling Emily <laughs> yeah. Dickinson, you know? But then I go to Chicago. It's all boners. It seriously was. Yeah. And I was that's just like, funny. I don't, I don't want this. So is that why you shifted? So into that's stand-up? why I shifted into stand up is that yeah. I was like, oh, when I do stand up, I don't have to. Like, the person in front of me might have used the microphone as a dick, but I don't have to. You don't. You yeah. can speak into it. <laughs> can, talk to it. I can take that dick and put it right <laughs> up against my lips. And not in your yeah. mouth. Yes, that's right. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it, that really was a— Yeah. But at this— They were very separate. Nobody was doing the same mm-hmm. thing. No, like like you're saying, nobody was yeah. doing um, yeah. stand-up and improv. It was really, really separate. I remember when I got to— Sunday company, it's like a very intense, like, uh, you get voted on every six months. You can only do up to a year and a half. And you put on a new sketch show every Sunday night, a la SNL. So you're like, everything's last minute. You're learning lines. Got it. uh, I was doing it, and I got last comic standing at the same time. So it was bonkers. And my, I remember I got extent, you know, I got voted through to the next six-month round. And my teacher was like, I think you really need to rethink this stand-up thing is, you know, taking too much time. And I was like, oh, you mean the thing that's paying me? <laughs> right. Because I'm not getting paid. I never, I don't think I've ever gotten paid for improv and sketch. It is what trained me. I'm so grateful I did it because 
most of my acting training is from the groundlings. Uh, but stand up is where I finally started making a living. And without it, it would have been, I think, a much longer road to that. Yeah, I know, I know what you're talking about. I mean, here's here's my like completely weird and backwards thing. Uh-huh. I was six months out of college and I was doing like a like a comedy sports type. Mm-hmm. I had gotten cast in that sort of a thing. Yeah. That was every Friday night. And then I went to the biggest improv theater in Boston. They were just having auditions. Mm-hmm. And I went and I got cast in their main stage. Yeah. And everybody else was like our age mm-hmm. now. And I was 22. And yeah. I had never taken a single improv class. I'd just like done short form games in college right. and then six or three months of theater mm-hmm. sports or whatever it was. That's daunting. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and they were all teachers. Like oh, they were yeah. improv teachers that also did this at night. Yeah. And then I was an actual teacher. <laughs> uh-huh. I worked at a high school oh, really? as like a classroom aide. Uh-huh. And then I would, I would work from seven to four and then take yeah. the train and like, go perform at night. And I didn't even know your shirts had to come all the way down. Like the, the boss of the theater was like, Cameron, what we're noticing oh, is yeah, that we can see your midriff when you move around. And I was, I mean, you're going to need a longer I was, shirt. I was like, what? Yeah. So that's so um, funny that that was like, everyone's like, Hey, does she know? I don't know. Like she doesn't know it. I also, they were like, and, and so if you could yes, and this scene. And mm-hmm. I was like, I've never heard of you're this. Like, what is, they're like, and it's they were the like, Oh, you're fucked. Like, <laughs> so like yeah. I worked there for, um, but you probably learned quick. I worked there for three or four months yeah. and then I got fired and they were like, we can have you as an understudy mm-hmm. or something if you want. Um, but you're like, I love you to clearly be demoted. don't know what you're doing. And I was like, I told you that, like, you know, um, but I know I, you've been on the main stage, but if you want to understudy yeah, now, yeah. you're like, wait, what? Yeah, it was so gnarly. <laughs> um, but I went back to the other theater that I had worked at and I started taking classes and yeah. like that's, but I, I think that it is like you're saying, I feel really grateful. Not so much like acting wise. Mm-hmm. I haven't, I haven't acted as much as you have. I've done things, but I feel like you're like very regularly doing things. I really like, I really like the acting stuff. But I feel like the improv training helps me enormously yeah, in stand up, sure. like in a way that I don't understand how anybody does stand up without having, having done, done that. It helped. Yeah, because once, uh, once I started stand up about two years into improv, I. I I feel like improv gets all the jitters away. So, That's a, right. Yeah, a lot of people start stand up and are for the first couple of years are just learning how to be on stage. I totally hear you. It's not about material. It's not about jokes. It's about presence. Are you comfortable? And so even though I've done stand up thirteen years, I've done I started improv and stuff fifteen years ago, and I felt like that was kind of my intro mm-hmm. to, to. So once I started stand up. I sort of hit the ground running, I think, a little bit faster than I would have without improv. Yeah, I totally get you. I mean, I think you and I actually have almost the same timing yeah. and everything, too. So, yeah, I, I hear you. Mm-hmm. That's a huge thing. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. 
The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! You said that when you started, when you moved here, Mm -hmm. you were not out. Yeah. And I'm trying to understand the timeline (laughs) of then when you got Groundlings to stand up to coming out. So, like, weave that little thread together. You came out a little bit later after after college or? I came out when I was 19. I was at school. But it was a school where you, you like, couldn't be publicly out. You could be kicked out of school. Yeah, I was at a school like that, too. I was at a women's college. I weirdly enough. Wow. I was yeah. at wait, but it was religiously affiliated? Yeah, Presbyterian. Yeah, mine was Catholic. Mm-hmm, which and, is even more hardcore. Yeah, it was so hardcore. <laughs> uh-huh. And so I knew what was going on. And I had come out to my parents, which didn't go well at the time. Yeah. And I had come out to like a best friend. And then mm-hmm. I had like a secret girlfriend. Yeah. Um, a lot of secret girlfriends I've heard about from yeah. people. Yes. I feel like if I had come out in college, it would not have gone gone over well mm. um, because everyone was at a different place. Right. And I remember my freshman year of college, there was a girl who was a lesbian and it was like, and a lot of people were always like, women's college, lots of lesbians. I'm like, no, they were all there to meet a husband. Sure. It was like five minutes from NC State, which is a big engineering school. Oh, I was just there. Really? I was like oh, just, in Raleigh. I was just yeah. in Raleigh and like staying very near NC State. Yeah. So I know where you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. So this women's college was just across the way. And so the gay thing, there was no gay people, none. And this girl was like, I'm a lesbian. And people were like, what? You know, it was like clutching their pearls kind of thing. And she got into a secret relationship with her RA. Oh, Big scandal. Sure, yeah. So I so girls on their hall were mad, which I can see why, because we had very strict rules about no men. Men were not they had like hours where they could be in your dorm room yep. and then they had to leave. And if you got people got kicked out of school if they were caught with a boyfriend overnight. And so they would spend the night every night together and the girls were like, that's not, which I kind of see, like uh, you do have a point, but also whatever, they're girls. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, I remember I was walking through the hallway, it was a very small school on the weekend, and that girl was in the, um, there's the president and then the person, the dean or whatever, she was chewing this girl out. Because the girl wore a tuxedo to our school. We had a school dance. Wow. She wore a tuxedo. And there had been com- the complaints on the hall. And she was, this dean was chewing her out in a way. I was like, and I knew it was because of the gay thing I could hear. And I remember sort of internalizing that going, oh, man. I, I didn't know I was gay, but I knew something was off. And I was like, oh, that I got oh whatever that is, I don't want any part of that you know and um turns out that dean it's the classic tale a repressed lesbian who oh, later man. ran off with the female chaplain oh my god <laughs> ah! 
Yeah. So she, her own homophobia, right, la- was lashing out. Right. That all that her own internal homophobia was lashing out at this student who was being brave enough, right, to be who she was. She just was in the wrong. She transferred and went to a school where she found her people. Thank God. And could be yeah, herself. Yeah, thank God is actually the right yeah. thing to say there. I mean, that could get, that's the kind of shit that can get, like, quite dangerous. Yeah, 100%. Because you, you're being shamed for something, and it's yeah. humiliating. And so I just sort of went on with life and just sort of stuffed that Were you part trying of me. to date dudes? I, or was that just, like, not just, really on your radar? It wasn't really on my radar. I didn't really date much. I was just sort of, like, friends with everybody and very social but dating was not really part of my thing. I went on a few dates. Uh, I didn't really have like a steady boyfriend or anything like that. And I'm a gold star, so I didn't have uh, the the hookups. And uh, I just kind of put it on my mind, like, oh, dating. I'm just gonna focus on yeah. school and sports. I play a lot of sports and I did theater. And uh, once I got to LA, that feeling started bubbling up where I'm all like oh, feeling things like what is this because I'm from a small town of 8,000 people anyone I that I assumed might be gay was like a very effeminate man married to a woman so I didn't have examples I totally of gay people or at least being out you know especially if you were um active like you say that you were mm-hmm. like with like the like sports and theater and all this other stuff because I also I was like always over involved. Yeah. Like as like as in high school I was like mm-hmm. I was like the I was like the everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was like the mascot of the football team. <laughs> but were. then I also <laughs> yes. was like the captain of the swim team. You know, right. like in the same yeah. season where uh-huh. it's like putting your bird Going head on. Yeah, exactly. Like thing. yeah, you know. Yeah. And then I was like in college, I was actually like super religious myself uh-huh. and like working all of that shit out and, like, just a million activities. I find, like, if you're a woman that's on sort of the masculinity, on the masculine side of the spectrum, Mm -hmm. you really can just sort of be like, I'm busy, and people will be like, she's busy. Like, people are kind of fine with that. It's a weird thing. Yeah, and maybe that's how I was finding validation since I didn't have a boyfriend. Mm -hmm. You know, that was the way that I was getting my love or affection. I don't know. I didn't consciously do that for that reason but i'm sure there's something about that that was like well i'm not getting sent flowers on valentine's day but i'm president of the beta club (laughs) (laughs) i'm making all a's Uh, and um yeah i just threw myself into that and uh i think it was it was like so i ended up coming out the same year I started comedy, which is crazy. It was a very big transitional year. Wow. So I was in L.A. for two years, or no, a year and a half, still not knowing or realizing I was gay. But a couple of things happened. I started um, just being in L.A. By proxy, you start seeing more gay people. I mean, honestly, seeing two two gay people hold hands was mind-blowing to me in person. I just remember like, whoa. They're just walking on the street because I'm from the South. You know, you didn't see that. I'm like, no one cares. Oh, my God. That's so that's so awesome. Like, they're just living their lives. And as small as that sounds, it was huge Mm. to me. And then I um, I watched the L word. That was honestly a very big thing for me because I was 
for the first time seeing women be friends, be in relationships, yeah, get coffee together. The simplest of things was truly blowing my mind. And then I, this is when Craigslist was very popular and people were doing uh, the ads. Yeah, like, the like dating, dating section. Dating section, yeah, where you could like, so I was like starting to sort of look at that. But and like I met a couple women, but I was so terrified of women. I scurried out after like an hour. <laughs> Where did you meet them? If you were having a like date? a gay, uh, were you here in LA yet? When they had um, it was called uh, Moon Shadows in North Hollywood. Nope. You would love. You would have loved that bar. It sounds. I can tell you. It, it a, sounds like it would have Moon Shadows. Moon Shadows. It was in the valley. Oh, that sounds good. North Hollywood, and it was an all lesbian bar. A dive bar with a pool table. Sounds so good. (laughs) And it was like a great place, but it was the last of the lesbian bars that closed down in L.A. And I met, I would meet someone there. I think I meant to meet one girl at Chili's. I mean, I was like, this is the fancy. I'm going to take her to a fancy place. Yeah. And uh, it just took me getting comfortable with it. And then finally, I uh, talk about it in my stand-up. I watched a Lifetime movie. Uh, the Truth About Jane, it was called. you remember this I one? don't remember this one. Stocker Channing played the girls in high school, her mom, and the girl in high school realized she was gay, and uh, her mom at first is really upset about it, And there, but the girl has a gay teacher, a fe- female lesbian Whoa. teacher who sort of sh- helps her come out, and by the end of it, the mom, Stocker Channing's like, I love you, and honestly, it was the... F- I said out loud, I was by myself, I go, oh my God, I'm, I'm, I'm gay. And it was from watching this Lifetime movie. Yeah. So that was the catalyst that sort of brought to the surface all these underlying things that have been, you know, in hindsight, I can point out a thousand examples of being gay. Sure. I just didn't know. Yeah. It's. Oh my God. I love that story. Yeah. And it was, it's funny that. I came out and I started improv at the exact same time because, like you were saying, you gotta to be a good performer, you gotta know yourself. And so, yeah. And then I didn't have the stage fright that I had in college. I didn't have that, um, the whatever was holding me back. I was kind of like, I know who I am now. Comedy, boom. They that all must have converged. been so freeing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like for me, um. I like start so when I moved back home to Chicago and I started doing stand up I was like 25 mm-hmm. and like 19 to 25 had just been like really painful really? in terms of like my queerness mm-hmm. like my folks weren't not chill with stuff right. and I, they were catholic yeah, I'm assuming exactly yeah. and um and for me doing improv I didn't actually feel right away like well, my community was very accepting uh-huh. and, like, chill and everything was fine. But yeah. I didn't feel like I was, like – I didn't feel like I was making myself safe on stage mm-hmm. because I felt a little bit, like, for me that I was still sort of hiding what was going on. Right. At having so deliberately hit it. Like, yeah. it was, like, a choice. Like, I was 
I knew what was going on and yeah. didn't tell people for a long time. And gotcha. so that felt very, I felt yeah. very much like I, w- I got like really good at sort of splitting myself in half and having mm-hmm. like this public self and this private self. Yeah. This is something I'm still working a to do. A lot undo. of gay people, I think, had that. It is, a, it is a fucking bummer to get good at that. Yeah. You like, compartmentalize your life. Yeah. And you just get really good at like editing yourself mm-hmm. and at presenting one person yeah. with what you think they want. And yeah, yeah. I think I think for us it can be like a safety thing. Like mm-hmm. it's literally like, okay, so I don't want to die in this situation, so I'll just present like a version right. of myself that lives yeah. or that could live or whatever. Yeah. And then what, who who's the most accepted version exactly. of myself? Right. But that is like you get good at that. Mm-hmm. Then you're like, well how do I now have the skill of telling my friends who I really am, given that I'm really good at this other thing. Right. Well, I think part of the coming out journey is you you don't just, like, realize you're gay and every and then boom, you're <laughs> gay. Like, great, everything falls into place. Like, what I think people don't realize is that you're, you are dealing with your own internal homophobia because a lot of totally. us have it only because of the society that we grew up in telling us it was wrong, right? Otherwise... Would we? There wouldn't there be be no shame. Yeah, and uh, and then so you have to you have to come to terms with that and be just be comfortable with who you are. Also, a lot of people don't realize that many of us, even at nineteen, you probably have friends that started dating at fifteen, sixteen. Like, oh, I started dating at fifteen, sixteen. Yeah, like I had dudes, boys. You know, I had dudes in my life. Yeah, and you and then um, there you're relearning how to date a hundred later than everybody else. Yep. And like, for me, I didn't, I didn't really date guys. So I had to learn in my late twenties, how to do something that my friends got to learn at 16. And it, it stunts you in a way that, that makes you have to catch up to everybody where you're being like, for me, my journey was, I was very awkward. I was, I was bad at talking to women. I never knew if someone liked me or, and I was, I had that unrequited love for a while too, where you come out sure, and you're still kind of liking straight women. Cause that, that was the pattern. Yeah. All those secret crushes, right? you know, you're just sort of placing it on the same type of people. And it, it's an evolving thing where you, I don't think I really became um, like the best version of my gay self till my early thirties. Yeah, you know, it was a journey. That makes so much sense. I mean, I I had a different side of what I think is that same coin, where like because I started dating a woman in college, mm-hmm. that was it wasn't my first relationship, but it was like my first relationship. Right. And it also happened at a time when I could essentially live with her, mm-hmm. you know? So it was like all very adult where we like, <laughs> like ate, like cooked dinner together. Yeah. But also I was like a baby, you know, like mm-hmm. I was having like my first love and going grocery shopping with them. And <laughs> yeah. that, that is weird yeah. in its own way, uh-huh. you know? Cause like, so I think you're totally right. It, yeah. it does all sorts of different yeah. things to like how then you learn how to relate to people. I, I mean, know. Yeah. Oh, what were you going to say? I was going to say I, I dated or like uh in my late 20s someone who would who was a, a, like 7 years older than me and she had already she'd even been married to a woman was going through she had kids 
And I just remember feeling like a ch- like a child. I mean, I was 30 years old. Yeah. I was just like, what? How, how does this work? You know, seems crazy. So how did you get to the place where you could figure out who was interested in you? Like, what did you start to look for? That took forever. That took forever. I now, like, uh, a couple years ago, people were like, I have the, such a crush on you. I'm like, what? You know, <laughs> like, no, you never, why don't you just tell me? Like, I didn't know. I always, and that was probably part of my own self-esteem, like, needing to come to a better place. I just always, I was a person that assumed you were lo- looking at the person behind me. Right. And, um... And I think that just came from not being the object of anyone's affection. Because guys and I would meet and we'd immediately have a bro-y connection. I grew up with two brothers. So I I never had a that vibe with dudes. We'd high five. So I never got to be the object of affection. I never got yes. I always got no. In right. verbal or otherwise. Uh, so I think that carried with me where I just assumed... They, oh, they don't like me. So I think it took me getting to a better place personally with myself, me working on my self-esteem. Therapy is always a great Therapy's a great gift. option, yeah. Uh, and I think it took dating more, just going through some of the wrong people and, and also dating people where it wasn't um, a bad relationship. They just, it wasn't the right person for me or it was only supposed to be in that certain amount of time. And then I think I just... Once I finally had just had more dating experience under my belt, I just felt more comfortable and confident where um, where it was uh, more obvious if someone liked me or I, or I wasn't as afraid to put myself out there even if I got rejected. Yeah. I mean, this is also interesting, like the ways that – because I feel like for me, I, I have – I did receive that attention when I was young from men, Mm -hmm. and I think that it affected me and that it made me feel like mm, sometimes somebody might be interested in me and I'm not interested in them. That you don't have to date them? Well, like, I I actually would be like, I do have to date them. Right. Because men were like, like, I'm interested in you, and I didn't know I was gay. I didn't Uh know I could feel interested. So then I would just be like— I guess this is what this is. They like me, so yeah, I'll date they, them. They like me as yeah. the, you know. So then I noticed that that was hard to, that's hard to work out of your repertoire. Mm-hmm. Then when you, like, so I just start dating women. That doesn't change yeah. knowing that I can do that, which is, like, people are interested. I'm like, yeah, cool. All right. Well, then great. You know, yeah. like. A, which happens with the gay people, too. My partner, she came out at 15. Mm-hmm. And she said she went through a, a number of years not realizing she had a choice totally. in the matter. If if a woman liked her and pursued her, she felt like she kind of owed it to them or should date them. Hundred percent. She didn't know what else was out there, and and uh, so it's uh, it's it's an interesting thing to hear from people that came out earlier. Like, oh, you yeah. were dealing with that too. Yeah, it's a different side of the same mm-hmm. thing. And now that you, because you guys are, are you? In- Engaged? We're engaged. We've been engaged for a long time. For like time. a minute, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I I was dating just kind of like I had started on, I got on Chelsea lately, and then then I started sort of dating the wrong people where they're just kind of like, hey, wh- what's Chelsea up to? Like, <laughs> sure. You know what I mean? You're just like, yeah, but I don't know, but like, what are, what are we, you know, <laughs> you're just kind of... 
navigating this weird world sure. where I was dating. I should not have been dating some of the people I dated. But whatever. You live and learn. And uh, then I was dating some girls. You know, L.A. is a weird place where they're just kind of like, um, L.A. is a place I find people are always looking for the a better thing. Like, it's like, you'll do for now. And I was dating a lot of the people that were kind of the telling telling me in their own way, you'll do for now. And then something better would come along and off they go. And uh, I was really, I was, I was getting to the point where I was becoming so just like at the end of my rope with dating, thinking I'll never meet a, a, a nice girl. I'll never meet someone who wants to commit. Like, I guess I'm just going to be married to my career that's what's going to have to happen because it's not working out. Even though I'm finally gay, I know who I am. It's hard to meet the right person. And uh, I think I I even had like one of those come to Jesus moments with one of my friends where I'm just like, I don't know what to do anymore. I wanted it so bad, but just kept picking the wrong people. And I think I finally just sort of like, after that conversation, just let it go. Where I was like, you know what? I'm going to do my thing. Whatever happens, happens. I meet someone, great. If that's not my, if that's not in the cards for me, whatever. I'm giving myself over to whatever this is. And uh, couple, like maybe a month later, I went to Chicago. Yeah. Uh, f- my friend was, my best friend who I'd lived with for seven years was living there and about to move to Atlanta. So I was like, oh, I'll go see him before he moves. And they're on that backlot bash. you know. Uh, I do know the backlot yes. bash. And uh, they asked if I would, like, introduce, I think Ruby Rose was performing. And I was like, yeah, sure. And uh, I went. And um, 15 minutes into arriving there, I'm just standing there, minding my business, watching some DJ. And here walks up my Part, now partner Jax and a friend of hers and we start chatting and I'm just sort of like who who's this you know and we have been together ever since for going on over four years now four and a half years and uh it you know everyone in the world is like you'll meet someone when you <laughs> least expect it and of all the time I'm not trying I'm not looking and she just walks up it was the most cliche thing ever. But, yeah, we got uh, – we were long distance for a year. She was living in Chicago. Yeah. And uh, she moved here three years ago. Uh, and we got engaged a year and a half ago. <laughs> but we just haven't – we're going to, think, get married next year. But we just have not been in a hurry. Because it feels like we're already married. Sure. I mean, I, I remember when uh – some of this stuff happened even just from a distance when you started talking mm-hmm. about this person and then yeah. meeting her for the first time. But I think she was still living in Chicago then. Mm-hmm. And can I ask, like, this might be a – I'm not sure if this – this may be a personal question, but it's just an interesting question that I think could, a lot of listeners could, like, probably benefit from. So okay. she moved here to L.A. Yeah. And, like, had to set up her own life yes. in a place where you were already established. It's tough. Can I ask how you guys yeah. navigated that? It, that is, it's hard. It's, that was hard for sure. And she had to sacrifice a lot. Um, 
And that's the thing. We we were long distance, like I said, and I was on tour. So she was she's a kindergarten teacher. So she was like leaving school and flying to whatever city to meet me in. And we were traveling constantly for that year. Like my normal travel schedule is crazy. And it was like double that because we were also trying to spend time together. And by the end of the year, we both were depleted of energy. (laughs) We were so tired, but we knew we really loved each other. And we also knew that the reality was we can't keep up this schedule. There's no way. We'll both burn out in our jobs and with each other. So someone was going to have to make the leap, and that was going to require a sacrifice from someone. And at the end of the day, I just I couldn't leave L.A. because, as you know— Yeah, this is where the work is. It's where the work is. Auditions come up last minute constantly. You're like, you think your week is clear, and all of a sudden you're filming something. And she saw that from visiting and knew I couldn't leave. So, And she loved her job in L.A., I mean, in Chicago— she worked in um, uh, an, an area where she was really making a difference, and she just made that decision that for for our relationship she would make that that sacrifice. And it's hard because when you LA is a tough place already, and I don't know why anyone lives here if they're not in the business. <laughs> totally. And it's hard to meet people. There, people aren't open, and it's you know it was hard enough when I was twenty five trying to meet people. She's in her 30s. Everyone's kind of got their life, got their friends. They're like, I'm good. And in your in a relationship, it's you're kind of with your person a lot. So the first year was really hard for her. She got a job immediately at a school, and she loved her kids but didn't love the school. Every day she came home exhausted. There was a lot of, you know, I'm sure on her end, like, what did I do? And I just wanted her to be okay. I just wanted everything to feel good. And and I knew what she was giving up. And it's hard to just, like, I just tried to be extra there for her. And I sort of put my social life to the side and my time with my friends to just sort of be there for her and be her whole kind of social thing. But it just takes time. Now she's made friends. She really likes L.A. And... I'd say for anybody that's in that situation, you just, it's time. It just takes time and uh, you can't really rush it. Yeah. I also think it's great to acknowledge, as you did, that like somebody is making a sacrifice and also that that person, it sounds like didn't put that on you, but mm-hmm. that you like chose to have that. Yeah. You know, like, never, like that's a, it's yeah really important, I think, in relationships to like accurately call out what's going on, but right. then also not use it as ammunition for. Yeah. She never threw it up. She never threw it up to me. She never made me feel guilty about it, like, or said, I did this for you. Sure. You know? Yep. Because that that's an easy go-to if you're fighting, especially to be like. Yes, it is. I'm here for you. But yes, it is. She's, she's pretty amazing. And thank God she's finally met some great friends that uh, uh, that are good to her. And she's um, like in L.A. and, and uh it it makes me feel more at peace because you know if someone does that for you you just want them to be happy yeah and it's, absolutely there, there was a part of me at first was like oh my god did i ruin this person's life yeah have i totally 
messed up their trajectory of what, you know, their life was supposed to look like. But we're in a good place and happy and it's a healthy, good relationship. So in the end of the day, I think it's worth it for her and for myself that she um, that she made that leap. Totally. Also, I mean, I think this is kind of specifically relevant to the queer community because there's we're it's it's a small group of people. Mm-hmm. Like I think that sometimes we act like it's you should be able to find everybody in the city that you're in, and then yeah. everybody should be able to find jobs. And like it all seems like very much like a choice, you know. Mm-hmm. Like it's like you're electing to leave or you're electing right. to whatever, but it's like I don't know percentage wise. How many people do we really have to choose from in each city? And like, then in terms of just dating and stuff, it's it's like you've dated those people, you know, like, so those become your exes and everything. Yeah. And unless you want to start from the beginning and just redate all the people you've already dated, you know, I do think this is a choice that I know I've made. And I know Mm -hmm. a lot of people in my life have made this choice. And yeah. And, um, and it's just not built in the same way because there isn't like, well, I'm going to move here for my, like, husband's job or whatever. But it's still – that's still a thing. Mm -hmm. It's still a thing in our world. Yeah, well, I mean, it's – you know, it's all about – the. a lot of times there are two people and they both want their thing to work out and and the one person doesn't want to sacrifice the other thing for the other, so you kind of call it quits. And I just happened to find someone who – was willing to put me first uh, in for the good of the relationship and I'm I'm super grateful cuz I never had that in any other relationship. I never had anybody choose me and and say, you know, I'm I'm doing I'm putting my life second because I love you and I want to do this for you and it's huge and it's I'm so grateful for her for doing that and you know we we have our quirks like everybody but we're just you know living our lives and trying to be happy and figuring it out (laughs) figuring it out as we go you know and we kind of I don't know what I neither of us have that marriage fantasy so we're we feel like we're it's sort of a straight construct that we've sort of adopted like that oh that you're we're supposed to get married so i guess we will but she doesn't want to walk down an aisle probably be like a courthouse or something yeah i mean i gotta say even from the vantage point of divorce that Mm -hmm. marriage is actually pretty awesome is it i liked it i liked being married um I don't know. I mean, you'll have to tell me what you find if you do decide to do this. But in my case, I, you know, like I've had like the most painful, awful year Mm -hmm. ever going like this has been the worst year of my life. And I still think that I actually still think marriage is pretty amazing. And it's fucking weird because I can't believe I'm saying this. Yeah. But it, I think it is a little bit more than a societal construct. I cannot believe that that's true because I... (laughs) I you it's know, more meaningful than that, you mean? Or Yeah, if well, because like you actually I mean, this is so wild, but it it was my experience. It's like you actually become legally responsible to and for another person. Yeah. And I think when you look at that, that can feel really cynical where it's mm-hmm. like, uh, legally re- like who gives a shit? That's just taxes or yeah. whatever. But it really does mean like 
like the way you're, you're treated um, at a hospital or the mm-hmm. amount of say that yeah that you not just get to have but like want to have yeah is really different and I, mm-hmm. I think it's like I wish I could say from the future from like I wish I almost wish it would be so much easier <laughs> on be like, me don't get married if I was like <laughs> marriage fucking sucks don't do it like yeah. I wish I felt that way because yeah. then that would maybe mean that right now is less painful but I really think like I don't know. I think it's kind of special and cool. It It could just be my fucking weird ass Catholic background, but it's, and it's not just like, it's not that it's like wife or anything. It's not like that. It's literally just that like, um, we live in a culture that did put certain rights aside Mm -hmm. for this contract. Right. And those, they've, affect your daily life in weird ways yeah that i did not think would be true oh it's interesting yeah like it feels fucking solid yeah even if it's something that then can be undone right what a fucking weird thing to say i can't believe that's how i feel but it is but it is yeah yeah so you'll have to let me know how you feel i i i know that i want to marry this person that mm-hmm. i want to be legally responsible for her it's a wild feeling but i i'm human and i get scared too like oh what if oh my god what if you know well i'm here to tell you uh if the worst happens it's fucking terrible <laughs> yeah it's terrible but you but you know, do it anyway because you you're like anyway. yeah well and uh, the alternative is not trying that seems like i know a and that seems that's bad one too yeah like you don't want to just be alone because you I'm might here. get hurt. I know. God damn it. Fortune fine. So you'll, you know, you'll go through this pain and learn from it. And then I would think that one day you'll probably have this experience again because marriage is important to you. Yeah. I think you're, I think you might be right. Oh, Jordan, clock it. That's the time when someone said that. I feel like it's like for a while I was telling people on the podcast, I don't want to talk about this. And now I'm just sort of yeah. starting to talk about it. And it's an interesting thing. Well, it's a journey and that's a very, you know, personal journey. And mm-hmm. because it was so hard, I'm sure it's not easy to talk about. And and it's a tougher thing for you, too, because you're both comics and your relationship was very you had a show. I mean, it was, no, it was part of everyone's, I know. you know. You guys shared yourselves with everybody, so, you know, it takes a minute to be able to then get to the place where you can talk about it. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. You're totally right. Well, Fortune, I loved talking to you. This was such a great conversation. so great. I've never really gotten to sit down and chat with you. This is, like, the most in-depth conversation I've ever had, and I I hope it's not the only one. I hope so. I'm, like, not not interested in that podcast lifestyle. Yeah, or it's only We open up and then, like, barely make eye contact. exactly. We always would see see each other at shows, but it's not really conducive to getting to dig in. Yeah, I love talking to you. You I'm so happy for you also. Thank you. The way that you describe um, what's going on in your life. I'm so happy for you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. And before I send you back into your day, I just want to yes. ask you to shout out a queero. Person, place, or thing made you feel like you can be who you are today? A queero. For me, a big place uh, was early on in my coming out in Los Angeles. There is a gay country western bar called Oil, Oil Can Harry's. Amazing. In Los Angeles. And it was a, a vital part of my learning to be gay, adjusting to being gay, making gay friends. It was a very safe space 
lovely, kind people that did some boot scooting boogie <laughs> and uh, just had a really great uh, welcoming vibe. And, and I'm very lucky that I got to, to be there a lot in my journey and figuring this whole thing out. I love that. Awesome. Yeah, Thanks, Fortune. Of course.